हेलो सर थैंक यू फॉर सच अ वंडरफुल लेक्चर आई हैव फ्यू ऑब्जर्वेशंस प्लस फ्यू कमेंट्स एंड फ्यू क्वेश्चंस एज वेल सर आई हैव टू और थ्री पॉइंट्स फर्स्ट ऑफ ऑल वी टॉक अबाउट बिल्डिंग एन इकोसिस्टम राइट विंग इकोसिस्टम सो when i studied this problem in depth i uh, came to realize that it is not indian problem if we talk about the global trend we say that right wing <laughs> is somehow weaker because many sub ecosystems are being captured by the left brigade be <laughs> it academic be it social ecosystem be it media ecosystem or be it bureaucratic ecosystem as well so given that we have a i i would like to say we have a right wing government right now though many people differ and say it's center of right and all but yeah so can we become the leader in this that since we have a government in place and now many people are coming uh, up in open spaces in social media though they may not be uh, uh, like defining their point in a cohesive manner with lots of facts and figures but their arguments are quite valid and people are there who can find logic and they can support so are we now in a position to build that ecosystem finally after 3 years because yes. ultimately to deal with it we require one ecosystem and second point is that that uh, since we when we talk about indian context indian ideology indian culture we say that we are flexible that is our plus point we are not based on one single book or one single das capital or anything so we are flexible we have different sects we even in our ideology it is very difficult to define right wing ideology because as you say said some points you mentioned some points but there may, may be some people who will differ from it and there are some people who are hell bent on you know giving importance of vedic culture and they are right in their own sense they have they have done their own work so given that kind of diversity that we have will it ever be possible to bring them on one platform and you know uh, 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 give a more cohesive uh, impactful uh, counter assertion to the left wing because left wing people also differ they will differ in their eco chambers when 10 people are sitting they will give their different viewpoints but when someone attacks from outside they they become united and so in case with many yeah, yeah. i would say groups so no uh, to build an ecosystem say but uh, you have we have to as i said we have to appreciate the state power and the right does not appreciate or understand i think even understand the state power you can only build an ecosystem once you are in the power so winning elections fighting elections being the being in the power and having a control over the state apparatus is extremely important the left was able to capture it because they were or their allies the congress was in power for so long so we have this thing we have a state power we should know how to use it second thing we should know how to throw money we should know how to throw money on people right you can't ask a person to work rashtra hit mein kaam kariye it happens because i know the system in and out so the people say okay aap kaam kar rahe hain to aap to desh prem ke liye kaam kar rahe hain aap to cause ke liye kaam kar rahe hain aap to vichar dhara ke liye kaam kar rahe hain well no one will work for that you know you have to start giving them good money for giving them good money you have to create good institutions there are lots of institutions which are already created by the previous governments and they are lying either vacant the seats are lying vacant in many institutions or they are being occupied by the old people what's stopping you from appointing your own people there this is one point i would like to make that is the ecosystem has a process to build an intellectual yes so what they will do the people they will identify as radical and they write strongly about uh, uh, right wing against right wing 
so they 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 give them a chance to go on seminars Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. That's exactly what I'm saying. Look at Guru Mahar Kaur, right? So that that's what I'm saying. That you ha you should learn how to throw big money. If you want to build an ecosystem, say intellectual class, ko agar banana hai, to kuch paise usse dena padenge, kuch ke apko intezam karna padega. Because if you're not doing that, they will go and search for other opportunity, no matter if they believe in the left wing or the right wing. In JNU, lots of people in the social sciences they come and they have told me. That sir, we are pro BJP. When we go inside, we vote ABVP. But once we come out, we write in our article everything left wing. We pretend to be SFI because that is where the career is. So you have to create this institution. And second, and the third point is that ecosystem is a very broad category. So you have to stop being too puritan. You you should debate. You should discuss. You should attack the other person. Who is from your ideological spectrum that you are wrong, you are completely wrong, but do not please push them out. So there's a very good example. I mean, uh, I think lots of people will not agree with me. There's this lady called Saswati Sarkar, Saswati Sarkar, and uh, who is a professor of engineering at I think some U.S. university. The kind of work she is doing, I disagree with some points. Obviously, is good. We should perhaps stop trolling her. Which is, I think, I, I know she also trolls back and she also calls everyone that you are doing this and that. But let her be, let her be, because if you stop, you start pushing out everyone out of your fold, you can never build an ecosystem. So ecosystem will have diversity. It will have the people who do not dis, do not agree with each other, who perhaps not even see eye and eye to each other. But you have to keep them all of them in loop. Second thing, you have to start coaching people from the other side. If they are willing to come, there was this lady who came and joined the BJP election campaign, and everyone is after her on Twitter since yesterday. Well, let her be, na, okay. Okay. So if you want to build an ecosystem, and third point about this Vedic thing, I'm not saying that you have to not study the Vedic period or not do that. I'm saying stop overemphasizing it. It's just like saying integral humanism. Aapka solution kya hai economic model ka? We don't want capitalism, we don't want socialism, we will follow integral humanism. Yeah, what does that mean? What does that mean? Similarly, you say we have a problem, social problems in India today. These are the fault lines. You say Vedic period mein jaake dekhte hai. Yeah, what will you see in the Vedic period? It was a very simple society. It was a very simple society. Today you have a society which is extremely complex. Right? You can't even compare the two periods. Maybe you can say, "Acha, us time, ye principle tha that we have to be more open. We have to be more. That's okay, but you can't refer it to again and again." That was my point. So, sir, if that can can be appropriate for the Western theories and use it to our advantage, just like left do. So, obviously, obviously. Grams can. There are many people who have written about different different institutions who poor who create hegemony and use it to their advantage. So, since we do not have. Well, obviously, the the knowledge always uh, grows by learning from the every other sources, right? Knowledge does not comes in a vacuum; it is always built upon previous knowledges. So that's that must be done. But I am very disappointed that in the political science, uh, sociology is a bit more difficult for the right wing. I know that uh, economics uh, we are there in good number. But in the political science, I'm very disappointed. We don't even have a proper theory. So there was a discussion on Indian political thought. They are only talking Charakya and all those things. Like, yeah, world has moved on 2,000 years since him. So talk something relevant. So what do you mean, sir? 
Say, uh, no, we, we do have Indian political thought, but those are not coherent enough. Say, we have Shama Prasad Mukherjee and Deen Dalupadhyay, and which people sum up as uh, Anantodaya and integral humanism. But what is the, what is the, I will say, what is the nitty gritty of it? What is the nitty gritty of it? Once you say integral humanism, it's okay as a principle that you have to look everything in a holistic manner and then you have to take care of everyone. But how you actually go about it? That is absent. Those are more statement of purpose and noble intentions. The right wing is very simple. Hmm. The theories are very simple. Which means actually is this. Yes, we want nation to be strong. We want nation to be powerful. We do want a strong industrial nation because we also understand that without being industrially strong, scientifically strong, strong on the basis of research, we can't be strong in the world. But we don't want any poor. They don't want? We do not want poor in our country. Hmm. It means that everybody should be able to grow. Yeah. So when you say that we call them freeloaders, I don't think anybody calls anybody else freeloader. As a matter of fact, on, on the social media, the five journalists who are more pro-Hindu. Hmm. So whoever is more pro-Hindu is being trolled by who is less pro-Hindu. <laughs> And we should also stop doing that. You know. yes, we must. We must, <laughs> must stop doing that. I entirely agree with you. Yeah. But one, th one thing which comes to my mind is why are some of us so strongly pro-Hindu who are not able to understand or appreciate? We can't go back to the ancient times. Is there a background to this? Yes, I think the background, uh, I may be wrong, but you see this process of urbanization which is happening and industrialization happening in the non-Western countries. So when the industrialization happened in the Western countries, that happened over a span of 200 years, 100 years. In countries like India, that has happened in just one generation. What I will say rather suggest no, no. is, India was complete. always an extremely urbanized society. No, no, no. How many cities? Let, let, me complete, let me complete my point. So in one or two generation, in India and in all other non-Western countries, the people have moved from being rooted in their community, culture and village to an urban setup. And that has created a kind of, you know, rootlessness among the people. And that is a big problem. So once they come to the urban setting, once they are comfortable, they have their good food and uh, home and everything, they start searching for their roots. And by doing so, many of them actually start become very Puritan and very, uh, I would say, fanatic in that sense. That and that is that is not Indian phenomenon. That is the word over. That is the word over. So lots of so please keep it. It's, it's going to be because then it becomes a class conflict or class war, and it is generally seen mm -hmm. those who are rich amongst us mm. are less concerned about the poor's sentiments, mm. and we find that who those who are poor are not only much more compassionate and kind, not only amongst themselves. But towards those who hate the most. Well, I think uh, that's a very generalized statement. It's a very generalized statement, but it's true. Question is not as a generalized statement or individual statement. It's true. Mm -hmm. One can find it around one's own uh, living. If you are living in a sort of mixed centers, mm -hmm. not in a metropolitan center, mm -hmm. in a urban center which is not extremely metropolitan, mm -hmm. rural areas. Urban, what is it called? Huh? Mm. 
So it is apparent. So when you look up to them, you naturally think, what is it that gives them the compassion, kindness, or still to think as a whole amongst people? From where is that thought coming? This one goes back to is it possible to strengthen the thought? And how that thought can be strengthened amongst everybody? Yeah, is I'm not getting, a, getting your point. Is it not a yeah. right-wing statement? Mm -hmm. Is it not a root of the society from some of the poor person who is not so educated, mm -hmm. who has not read history, mm -hmm. who has not heard many people? Mm -hmm. He is only connected with the roots, ancient yes. roots. Which means, even in a modern society, we have that impact of the ancient even in the Obviously, society. obviously. So that is why I said that, that is what I am saying that as the right wing, I said the four points that we believe that Indian civilization is worth cherishing and protecting, you know, is thinking, is thought should continue. My point by saying that you cannot go back again and again to the ancient time is that we are overdoing it. We are overdoing it. No, we are not able to find a connect means continue it. Mm -hmm. A problem rather is we don't know how to synthesize it. Yeah, but that's a that, that's a problem. I said, you know, that's a problem has to be that problem has to be located. As I said, that we are our society is transforming with a, with a very fast pace, very fast pace. So the moment, say, your generation or before your generation, right? The society, the life was still a bit more stable. But today, you see, the people are just jumping from one job to another. One, you you have new professions coming in, and by the time 20 years down the line, those professions will go away, we will have a different kind of economic setup. So that is creating a kind of rootlessness and that is a worldwide phenomenon and that is creating lots of problems and that has to be addressed and that can be addressed in my opinion by, as you are saying, by the cultural thoughts and other things. Like you, are, you have this identity. Now, as a village person, someone living in Haryana has his identity very clear. I belong to this gaon this Kapanchayat, this Jati, this Gotra and now you have moved from Haryana to Tamil Nadu to do your job and your generations, your second generation is completely cut off from your roots. But that is creating a kind of what I say the isolation and uh, loneliness. That has to be addressed. Very true. But how that is very difficult. Part. So called, uh, even the people who, who you know, we have the right wing flag do they even have a comprehension of what economic right wing is? Because, you know, a small thing like Uber, hmm. <clears throat> I have never seen the quantum of uh, complaints I have seen about the search shows hmm. that, you know, people just can't comprehend that you have hmm. to pay uh, for a uh, service uh, what the vendor demands. Hmm. They have this entitlement, no, we are being, you know, uh, ripped off, the state has to step in, mm -hmm. and it's across the board, uh, you know, everything uh, is, I am a right-winger, I don't want to pay taxes, and I want the government to control prices, so that I can have a good life. Mm. How does that work? <laughs> well, I agree with that, you know. Uh, say the Uber service or this service. Any, any service, any product. It's up to you whether to use it or not. So you yeah, can't complain about the price. Give me for interrupting you. My apologies. My point is, do we even have this appreciation of uh, economic freedom hmm. in 
the Indian population. No. The segment which got labels itself the right name. Uh, very less, I would say, very less people. But however, on the Uber example, I would say that the markets function. Yeah, markets should be allowed to function. But the markets cannot function in the absence of the state. And this is what differentiates me from the libertarians. You cannot have anarcho-capitalism. So when Uber comes into the case, yes, they should be allowed to fix their fare as they want to be. But they should be, they should be regulated in the sense they should be open and transparent about it. So what the Uber was doing in the beginning, and I have been using Uber since the day one, they were actually charging the fee in an arbitrary manner. There was no openness how they are calculating the fare. So here the state comes in, but there the state job should end. That you pay proper regulations, that you have to do proper disclosures, and then it should be up to the people whether to use the service or not. So if people are not using the service, obviously they will, they will have no option but to lower their fare. Same thing which happened in the metro case. When the metro fares were increased after 10 years, there was lots of hula bulla that you know, garibo ka nuksan kar diya, metro ka nuksan kar diya. And now here is a problem that lots of right wing people also said the same thing. Another section of the right wing started saying freeloaders say inko sasta metro chahiye. This is also a problem because as a right wing, you should have argued in a more intelligent manner saying that metro is a high cost system. Metro is not a cheap system, metro is really not for the poor people. What we have done in this country and in Delhi, by our over fixation with the metro trade, we have neglected the other things. We have neglected the bus services, we have neglected the tra train services, you go to Kanat Place, there is a railway station there. But no one uses that. So you should be arguing that we have to devise and develop different transport models and methods for different sections of the society, different income groups. Instead, the right wing also started jumping into the fray against the Kejriwal group and saying, "If freeloaders, you can't say that. You know, there are people who actually suffer because there is no other mode of transportation for them. So that is also a problem from the right wing side. So we should be offering solutions. Something which is done by the people who have no argument to make. Yeah, that's not the issue. But they, they constitute a very large number. Where I have a fundamental dis disagreement with you is yes. that I who is complying with the law as it is set out mm. and has a variable pricing, mm -hmm. why should that vendor be subjected to any oversight from the state? It should not be, but there should be regulation about how you are doing that. Yes, so fine. The point is, we have that in the airway sector. The, uh, you want to take away the privilege of pricing from the vendor, which is basically hitting at the no, 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 freedom. No. I am not taking it away. I am saying you have to be transparent about how you are doing the pricing. That's it. I'm not saying that government should control the price. But how far is regulation? I mean, there is monopolies on the other side. And what is regulation really? In, in terms of say, what TRI does or what IRDA does, but how do you regulate other industries, right? I mean, I'm, I'm <laughs> making a vague question, but this is an argument which is very I think I think that kind of thing is always negotiated, you know, uh, according to time or something. So there's no easy answer that till how far will you regulate because when I say there should be some government control and regulation on the economy, there is also a risk that government will not stop at any point. It will keep on regulating everything until you have a socialist state. So I think that is more of a negotiated that depends on the political atmosphere and that is not an easy thing to answer till how far you have to regulate. Now look at the airway sector. Once you book a ticket on the airplane, uh, 
and you cancel your ticket even two weeks before your travel, they normally deduct entire money. They, if it's a 5,000 rupees ticket, they will give, give you back 700 rupees. And they will then sell that ticket, sell that seat to someone else for maybe higher price because now it's only one week left or two weeks left. So, I mean, they're not being transparent how they are doing it. Yes. That's where the regulation, the state rules come in. So, state and market are not opposite to each other. The markets cannot function without the state. No, I understand. The markets, they have to learn to themselves can play. Cannot. I work in the markets. Yep. So I know that. But um, the regulation part of it is how far? How far? And how far? the propensity of human beings is when you have control, you don't want to let go of it. And that is why we need a strong right wing and from right wing which can push back politically that you can't control after this point. But also the market cannot be allowed to control the population completely. That was just true. As you said rightly, mm -hmm. 700 rupees the poor person can't afford. Mm -hmm. Will you not cry when a person is dying? Well, I, I read somewhere data that in India, then you become leftist. This means in India, around I think it's an old data. I read it somewhere. Around four crore people every year fall below the poverty line just because of their health expenditure. Health, health expenditure, and people, that's a big problem. People mortgage all their everything. Everything, everything, you know. So we have to argue for all over the world. Markets cannot be allowed to function without consideration of the populace. See. See, which means products are allowed to be self-collecting organisms. It's not. <laughs> it has never been. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you please. Yeah, okay, yeah. So, um, I wanted you to address the question of growing chasm or divide between economic and cultural rights. So, there are people who have written about it. Hmm. I mean, the economic right is more liberal in approach. While the cultural right that you see particularly on Twitter, are mm -hmm. they are largely labeled as bigots or trolls. Mm -hmm. and, and when Modi came into power, mm -hmm. there was this hope that these two will be reconciliated. I mean, that there would be a rainbow coalition in the right. But uh, that doesn't seem to be happening. And there is a section in right, uh, sort of economic right, which has this sense of despair uh, uh, yeah, for the it. cultural right. So how would you uh, how would you propose to sort of uh, uh, bring these forces into a coalition? Well, it's not as much as the cultural right, which is at uh, loggerheads with the economic right. It is the orthodoxy within the right wing. Being a conservative, being an orthodox is a totally different thing. So the people who have uh, who have I pointed out, they are too much fixated about the uh, you know agrarian India or the timeless India. They are the one who have a problem. It is a clash between the orthodoxy and the economic right. But economic right also has a problem. You know, they go on bashing, saying Hindutva is bad and uh, Modi should do free market reforms. Look at the Gujarat model. What is the basis of the Gujarat model? Gujarat model's basis is Hindutva, right? It's because Modi came to power, he was able to unite different castes and different communities under a Hindu unity banner that he was able to control that state. People forget that. Gujarat was in a very bad condition under the Congress rule. Every second week, second month, you will have a communal right. Different castes were fighting with each other. You have the Kham alliance, that Kham uh, alliance, which was uh, Harijan, Chhatriya, Muslim, and all those things. So they were ruling the state with the help of a very small number of people by making opportunistic alliance. It's when the Modi comes to power that he creates this Hindutva vote bank which actually freed or liberated the state from the dictates of any particular community. So what has happened that Patel's, they have voted majority, uh, in, in, in mainly for the 
BJP this election, but the large section of Patels have drifted away in this election. Had it happened in the 90s, BJP would have been decimated. But BJP was able to withstand this challenge of Hardik Patel and the large section of Patel because you created a Hindutva vote bank. So you basically called the bluff of any caste or any community that you cannot blackmail the state. And once you have that, you are free to implement economic reforms and implement good governance model. So this, this clash between Hindutva and the economic right and economic growth, I don't see it. I don't see it. I think the people are mistaken in their understanding. Without a powerful state, you cannot have good economic reforms. And a powerful state cannot exist without a party which is free from the blackmailing of different caste and communities. And that can only happen under the Hindutva model, in my opinion, in a country like India. Look at UP. Tomorrow, Yadavs will blackmail, or Rasputs will blackmail, or the Brahmins will blackmail, or any other caste, powerful caste will blackmail the state. But if you have a large, what you call, what is called, you know, I think Praveen Patil calls it United Spectrum of Hindu Votes. Once you create that, then you can call the bluff of any caste. Uh, economic ambition or say economic aspiration that was seen to be fulfilled if Modi comes back to power by the poor? I think it was both. It was both in UP. And it was, was also there and the, this desire for better governance than the Samajwadi party model was also there. It's both. I, I, no, this is a very simplistic what analysis. What I mean to say that in order to overcome caste, hmm. state can do only one thing hmm. and what it should do differently, mm -hmm. that improve the economic status of the poor. Hmm. So is it different from the left, left thinking or is it the right thinking? Is it giving free things to them? What is it? I'm not getting the question. See, in my opinion, we were able to win UP because poor thought that our position will improve under the Modi government, not BJP government, Modi government, especially because of demonetization. Hmm. Talk to any poor person about the Chawar. Mm -hmm. So, what I mean to say is that in future, in, in trying to make a Hindutva barrier, the only possible thing is to uplift the poor in the society, which can only be done through better economic subsidizing. No, this is subsidizing. I mean, you know, I agree to that, that Hindutva works once you have the uh, better economic growth. So, Hindutva works in the cities, it works in the urban center, Hindutva does not work as powerfully as in the village, village countryside. So, I kind of agree to that, but in UP, what won the election was basically both. Modi also won, not just uh, not only because of Achyadin promise, it was a victory of Hindutva model. Gujarat election recently is also a victory of Hindutva model. No matter how much you try to whitewash it, economic right cannot win even a panchayat election in this country. How was Modi able to work with caste factor in Gujarat? How was Modi able to work with caste factor in Gujarat? By, I'm telling you, it was creating a united spectrum of Hindu votes. There was a Hindu to ideological framework. And second was that, you know, he was able to give good governance to the people and a better economic growth. The economic growth in Gujarat averaged 10% over his tenure. But that would have been, never been possible without first creation of a Hindu, uh, you know, uh, stronghold. Because that basically liberates you. Just as a state, if I'm a government, if I'm a chief minister of a state, and if I'm from uh, Gujarat, and the Patels are on the streets, I know I cannot rule because they are so powerful. 
they are numerically also strong, they are economically strong, socially strong, but if I know all other castes are with me, I can call the bluff and I can do that with every other caste. So that is why this is important, you know, that is the basis of the uh, Gujarat model. I don't know why the right wing does not say it openly, I say it, you know, Hindutva is the core of the Gujarat model. And it's not about Danga, Fasad, it's a very simple governance model. In a, a little uh, deviation, you recently wrote an article that uh, uh, the separation of state from religion is a myth. Yeah, I did not, to be honest, read it, poorly reflects on. <laughs> but I've been reflecting on, on the thought of, of, see, generally the idea of Hindu Rashtra so far all these years has been a no-no, okay, because we are a diverse society, Milijili Sanskriti, all that's all that has been fed to me. Only recently I have been reflecting on this idea that would India remain if it were 100% Muslim or if it were 100% Christian? Uh, what, what is, how, how do I reconcile with all this? What is your thought about? Well, then India will not remain India as it is, as simple as that, you know. This is a no-brainer. See, every different community, every different uh, community has a different sense of ethics has a different sense of looking at the world. It goes for the religion very strongly. So Muslims, Hindus, Christians or Buddhists, they all have their different value system. Now you can argue like a liberal that everyone believes in humanity, well that's okay. But once it actually comes to what, how you shape your culture, well they are very different from each other in the sense. There may be commonalities, but what is Pakistan after all? Pakistan is the part of India under Islam. Do you see Pakistan as India today? No. So it's a no-brainer. I think the question even, you know, if India becomes a Christian country, India will be a very different kind of a country. It may still remain India. The people might still believe they are Indians. But culturally, civilizationally, it will be a very different Actually, entity. The question is that what is wrong with India becoming yeah. 100% Christian? What's wrong with proselytization? What's wrong with 100% The only thing wrong is that as a Hindu, you also have the right to self-defense, you have the right to exist, you have the right to survive and you also have the right to propagate your own religion. So if the Christians have the right to propagate their religions, what's wrong in Gharvapsi? If the, you can go and convert, we can also go and convert, the Muslims can also go and convert, maybe even some Scientology people can also come and convert, you know. Is there any, any logic or any defense in actually uh, creating a religion-centric India, a Hindu Rashtra for Well, I will not argue for a theocratic state for, uh, it, let me be very clear. I don't think theocratic states work. Hindu Rashtra, the proponents of Hindu Rashtras have not really defined it as such. Savarkar did something and in which he basically imagines India as a basically maintaining its demographic composition and arguing for a modern nation, industrial nation. I think that's as close as we get towards defining the Hindu Rashtra, but after that people have not really defined it. And I have not applied my mind much on that. <laughs> what I wanted to ask was, uh, you said that we want uh, urban industrial mm -hmm. So is it ecologically or environmentally sustainable? Very true. So Very true. one thing what I think of the Vedic thing is, it is more close to environment and being what we are. So it is not fixated with certain way of thought, mm -hmm. you can think how you want to live. No, when uh, we say yeah, Vedic or something, you know, go back, I, I'm getting, it is basically close to ecology. I, your plans or I'm, I'm getting what you're saying. You basically, see, I, I don't have problem if you are saying by, uh, by going back to Vedic period, you want to be more 
live a more sustainable life. So, if you are taking that thought from Vedic period to be more ecologically sustainable, that is all right. But you, but see the Vedic period was very close to nature because it was a very, very, uh, I would say uh, not rudimentary, but a very, very simplistic society as you compare what you have today. So, as the economies grow, as the human civilization grew over time, creating new technologies, stratifying into different professions, creating more surplus in the economy, the life become more complex, the society becomes more complex and that is why you have it today. Now, you cannot imagine that you can have all this technology like you have today, like all these cameras and everything and you can still live in the Vedic period, that is impossible. As long as you are saying we should learn to respect nature from the Vedic period as a principle and apply to our problems, that is okay, that is right. I just wanted to understand was like in urban areas the caste get diluted, diluted urban yes. and industrial India caste yeah. gets diluted. So that is my point is, it, is it sustainable because how long will hmm. we have coal, how long will we have oil hmm. or other resources? And whenever we, where we reach at a certain brink, it will get, you know, difficult. So, uh, do you think this is uh, sustainable and can we continue even after 30 years? I am so getting what you are saying that is this urban industrial model and that is a big question. In with 1.3 billion people, we will be having issues with water very soon. Very true. So, do you think all such talk, you know, will go far, we will be fighting for resources before we fight on castings? This is my no, I agree I mean, that is uh, that's a very fundamental question is the model of urban industrialization sustainable or not. So, lots of people say capitalism and socialism have been two different models competing with each other. There is a third thought which used to be fringe economics, but it is now becoming more and more mainstream that basically said the capitalism and socialism did not differ in the basic model. They both argued for urban industrialization, right. So, uh, there is a third thought, but I think we can overcome it with the help of new technologies. We have the capacity, we have the resources, we are not just investing it. Second thing, in India the problem is population, no one talks about it. That is politically uncool, that is politically no, not correct to talk about the population. But population in India is a big, big, big challenge, you know. You cannot sustain 1 point billion people no matter what you do. You cannot even eradicate poverty and that is 1.3 billion in India. You have about 20-22 crore in Pakistan and some equivalent population I think 19-20 crore in Bangladesh. I think we are doomed if you continue Myanmar like this thing. And Myanmar also, okay in this Akhand Bharat we have this huge population. So, we are doomed whatever we do, we have to do something about the population. <laughs> it is not about urban industrialization as such. We can always find a way via technologies. In fact, I was about to mention the same thing uh, which he just did that in all this talk there is an implicit assumption that the industrial model is actually sustainable. While as he said that in the next 30 years the world is going to change radically. The other, the other thing that we are talking about is artificial intelligence uh, which is kind of taking over jobs which is doing a lot of revolutionary stuff which we haven't even thought about. So as we are proceeding forward I think that these are the questions that anyone should address regardless of which wing they belong to. While it has become fashionable to say that, you know, right wing or left wing, I don't English. But yeah, I mean, there are certain commitments that you have based on your assumptions about, you know, how the world works. Uh, but I just want to make a, a simple point about what you said. Uh, and I thought that you were a little uncharitable with your fellow right wingers when you said that 
they don't read much and stuff you know the fact is that yeah this is true for anyone i was speaking with a marxist recently a hardcore marxist and he hadn't read yeah, shit you know <laughs> so 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 and the so the point is that you know it's not about whether individuals read and how much they read it is more about uh, the control of academia and how how balanced it really is and in that sense you are working on the assumption that because we have state power first of all this is a big assumption that we have state power because bjp is in power and secondly the bjp is interested in doing all those things which there is no evidence for so what do you think is there i mean if you remove that assumption that we actually have state power and modi ji is working for us how do we go about uh, you know correcting this gap in the academy can i can i also know, because my question is related to what you say um so the last part of it uh, what we were discussing the scholarship so the scholarship which is available is uh, predominantly left wing so if you go to any universities um you will not find people who are you know subscribing to the right wing even if we are if they are in their you know hierarchy life mein they will not bring it up so the my question is that okay you know there are students who are right with the right wing approach and they would want to grow into um, you know teachers and professors but there are many universities who do not even entertain a phd scholarship to a right winger so how do you go there and even if there are people who are already trained in that uh, you know with that thought point they're not given space in uh, institutions or even if they are get, manage to get in they're not tolerated for very long so how do we re- resolve this issue well uh, i was being uncharitable because i was making a specific point you know when compared to so i've been to many conferences of the left wing obviously because i come from jnu and the humanities so i've been to their academic conferences i've been to right wing conferences there is no comparison there is no comparison in the academic standard right why because our side people really do not do not you know put in that much of effort in the academics and uh, i do i'm not saying they don't read there is also a demographic problem lots of the people on the right comes from the stem field science field so they are not well read about the social science issues that creates a problem when you start dabbling in the social science because you can be shut shut up in any moment you know by the other side and that happens so he is doing his history honors perhaps he can argue better than a person who has done throughout his life uh, software engineering and is now trying to challenge romla thapar you know that's very difficult he can do it but that's difficult uh, about creating that uh, you asked scholarship and all yeah i give you an example from jnu there is a center called csrd study center for study of regional development in which they have economics and they also have geography so one person went with his phd proposal was a student there and he basically wanted to work on how this pilgrimage in india has created a sense of geographical unity in india that you go different shrines and temples and other places so in the meeting of his department all the professors were after his life saying why do you want to do this thing this is not uh, fair you should also include the christian pilgrimages you should also include the muslim pilgrimages and this is so communal and this and that so he came back his thesis proposal was rejected so i met him and i advised him please go next time and go with the same proposal and argue that dina ek has done the same work and i am i want to carry forward her work her proposal was passed <laughs> her proposal was passed so 
you can, you know, you, you, I, I know there are lots of barriers and they are very vindicative in persecuting people. Lots of them are. Some of them are really good people. There are also these uh, focus groups uh, which have emerged in, the, say, for example, Europe or America, hmm. which were not earlier there uh, because this whole, uh, this whole, uh, uh, this so-called monopoly over universities and everything of the liberal order hmm. and the left. So that kind of thing can also happen over here. So I think it's also fair to say you are talking about the, the liberals are dominating even in the West. A couple of decades back, the conservatives had a good presence. So I think it's also a phase. I think liberals are on a decline because all they can debate nowadays is how many types of genders are there, 10 or 12 or 20. So they have become so absurd. They have become so absurd. I don't think they can survive. The rise of this Antifa and all those things, they are on a decline. But the problem is that the conservatives are not present to give them a push. It's, it's too naive on our part to assume that government is uh, government is going to do everything to sort yes. of bring right-wing narrative. Why don't we talk about private initiatives? I mean, no one has talked about Sorasia, which is doing a wonderful job. Neither have we talked about the Indic Academy or, or the India. India yeah, that, that organizes talk at every place. I mean, there is so much scope for private. That's why I'm saying that today, we have at least something. There was nothing for year, four or five years back. So Swarajya is there. Now Rahul Roshan messaged me on Twitter and said, please take my name. So I'm thinking Rahul Roshan kind of people are there. <laughs> so who, who single-handedly so who single-handedly fights with the entire liberal ecosystem. Great guy. So we at least have something today. We need to scale them up. IBC Indic Book Club is there, but we need to scale them up. And these are only three. We need 30 more like this. And private initiative is very important. Ultimately, everything happens from the private initiative. The state is important, the government is important, but up to a point. Government can give you a scholarship, maybe, let's say, they can appoint to a fellow at some institution, but it's up to you to work after that. Everything can't be done by government or Modi ji or BJP. BJP is a political party, it's not an intellectual academic group. So you can't expect BJP MLAs or MPs to do it, this thing. They will talk as they talk. Uh, when, you know, when you were talking about people don't read, and you said the right wing don't read, uh, the truth is the young in India, whether they're in right wing or they don't read, they don't read. They're watching AIB videos. The vacuum is there in their minds as well, and the other side is more adept at conveying yes. its message. They, they, the other side understands one thing. Say, when I was doing my eco honors from uh, DU. Most of the class used to be, you know, either not political or lefty-lefty type or liberal-liberal type. But I go to class now as a professor there and I do ask how many people support Modi or how many people are supporters of BJP. In general discussion, sometimes I do ask. Majority of the class say we support BJP or uh, Modi. That's a big change in the classrooms today, at least in DU. Undergraduate students and good courses like eco-honors and all those things. So other sites have noticed this thing. So now they are targeting it very clearly. And that's why I argue that right-wing narrative, we should stop appearing to be pro, uh, to, to be anti-freedom and anti-liberty. And that is what we are doing today. So now whatever it is, say you are talking about the film ban on Padmavati, we are going aggressively supporting the ban. We should not do that. We should, there's other way, a more subtle way of arguing that look, we are not again, we are not for banning the movie, but we are for something which is wrong, wrongly depicted maybe, or something we 
we don't agree with so we want it to be reviewed that's a fair point to make but going against and saying oh, this would be censorship the movie should be banned and cracking jokes this is just not done so we have to appear more on the side of freedom and liberty and tell them that we are the one who actually give you true freedom the left never gives you true freedom they are thought controlled nazis right they will actually persecute you for speaking certain words if you i think it's happening in the western universities if you are a professor or something if you use he or she no you will be persecuted you will be persecuted say what we are doing you have to use gender neutral word is that freedom no so we have to tell them that it's the right which can gives you freedom because that is more sensible and practical and coming to that literature point yes i agree we lack that you go to any left wing talk give your bookseller sitting outside selling those 20 rupees ka book so there will be all those books by all their comrades and other people even people like mn roy does this business to pay ki 40 40 pannon ki kitab hogi people read that and that has an impact har jagah hota hai वो वो हर जगह होता है सो वाई वी यू हैव टू क्रिएट ओन ओन सिस्टम बट आई बट लिटरेचर एवरीथिंग वुमेन इन मार्क्सिज्म और दे विल सेल पेरियर दे विल सेल एवरी वन यू नो एवरी वन वन बुक स्टॉल एंड दोज आर वेरी चीप बुक्स दो घंटे की रीडिंग है कोई भी पढ़ लेता है उसको but now the people are not reading that's also a problem that's a problem so we have to be present in the social media in a far better manner you we must have seen this the wire video this man janganman ki baat by that uh, shameless liar vinod dua who lies every, in every second sentence why can't we have someone like that who can also lie in the second sentence right <laughs> we have enough people already sir but we don't need to lie that's a problem we can speak truth and we can still win but we have to have those kind of 10 10 5 5 minutes videos and presenting our view points i think you do ashish does some work on the course creation maybe you can also get into the uh, digital platform 5 minutes videos not long lectures 5 minutes video done 2 minutes videos done you know that is needed in a, because people are actually consuming knowledge from mobile phones nowadays not from the books good then last question so just to add what you were saying um, Just to give a point, uh, I in my college as an MDA, so there was one guy who was doing PhD on this uh, Guru Shishya Parampara. So I would say that something have changed. The only like I met him two years back. Uh, that guy he said that now it's uh, happening. A lot of people are doing courses on uh, related to Indic thought. And uh, the other question I wanted to ask: Has there been any? Because I'm not a student of uh, social science. Uh, any? battles or war as a group by sc's or the dalits again others and have that ever thought come ki why should we even uh, have this identity bahar mein jaye hum log hamara alag rahenge matlab hamara gaon hai hum kaise bhi reh sakte hain so who are they to put this identity on us this hota na kaise hi hota agar isna persecution ho raha tha and if they were such a big group why was the dependency then why do they need others why not make their own group they can live life as they want i'm not getting it exactly like, suppose if you are a, saying why it's about a big group yeah if it's a big group it's a big because we know population today they are huge numbers in lot of mm-hmm. states so it's such a big group mm-hmm. uh why was it so difficult to get out and they could have because how much people you need to 
to be socially belong matlab belong in a social group if you have that you need food basic requirements you have land so where was the need to depend on others if you yourself are such a big group and was there any conflict in history as a group against others as a group i think not individual but as a group you are saying were there any uh, recorded incidents of caste conflicts dalits as a group versus dalits as a group see dalits as a see, see then, then you have not as a serious not one fight or something but as a there has always been contestations the whole history is full of it if you read it what you were saying is that dalit versus the other so say then you don't understand the caste system right caste system is about each individual caste there is no such thing as upper caste group no two upper caste look eye and eye to each other i can tell you you go to any institutions in up at least two three upper caste they will be fighting amongst each other like mad people for control of the institutions so forget about dalits and obcs and other people right so no caste actually looks eye and eye to each other and this is the problem of the caste system which people do are not willing to accept that it is a kind of an undeclared permanent civil war low intensity so not two dalit castes also see an eye and eye to each other so is each caste for itself that is why the ambedkar says you know you have compartmentalized people into watertight silos is just like a tower where you can't neither go up neither go down so you are stuck where you are so dalit as a construct is a modern construct that's a when the modern politics started going up they say okay we share commonalities so we should come together as a group to resist politically the other side that's a normal thing otherwise contestation has always been there you there's no there's no incident there's no place where the contestation has not played out sometimes it's political sometimes it's within the religious thought sometimes it's the social contestation but that is always there and about moving out you know i think migrations have been happening that is why you have so many castes so one caste group basically runs away and establishes itself at different place but that's not that was not an easy thing to do even in those times because every state was ruled by some territory by some other person you can't just walk in and establish your village or whatever